Good morning. How's everybody doing? It is, okay, a couple of you wooed. That's good. It is great to see you if you're uh, new and I haven't been here while you've been coming. My name's Mark, and they let me serve here as the pastor, and I am so grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Acts 27. We're going to uh, preach a couple more messages here in this book as uh, we finish out our summer together. Uh, but before I get to that, hey, two more people put their faith in Jesus Christ here at our church over the past week. We celebrate that. As Brian mentioned, we're going to be uh, uh, putting some people under the water just for a short amount of time uh, outside here as uh, we get to celebrate the baptisms of some of the folks who have already previously made decisions for Jesus Christ. It's a great morning here at church. Uh, be a part of all the things that are ahead of us. Look in your bulletins. Lots of stuff coming up as the uh, school year gets going. We'll be talking to you more about that, but I just want to launch, if I can, into the things that we're going to talk about today. We've uh, spent the whole summer talking about life on trial and uh, looking at specifically the trials of a guy named Paul here in the back of the book of Acts. Uh, he's had three of them so far, uh, but if you've noticed on your uh, bulletin cover, it's a storm. Uh, that's because as part of the story here in the book of Acts, Paul goes through an incredible hurricane-like storm, and we have arrived to that story today. We want to talk about anchors in the storm, but before we talk about anchors, we need to talk about storms. Uh, it's been raining recently, apropos. I was out with some of my friends on my day off trying to get some golf in on Friday morning. Anybody want to guess how that went? A little damp. Storms happen. Weather patterns change. Storms come. Uh, but I, uh, I, I'm not talking about the weather this morning. Obviously, we're going to talk about uh, the other storms that are a part of our lives, the hard things that come. Here, here's some storm patterns that I understand uh, about the hard things in our lives. Sometimes we create our own storms. Has, has anybody noticed that we're really good at that? We, we can make poor decisions and, and storms are the result. Uh, it's like uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, my wife Eleanor is in Kentucky right now, my niece uh, Nastya is getting uh, married uh, this evening, and I'm here with you guys, so she's representing uh, the rest of our family there. And uh, uh, she uh, flew into Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and, and went to the rental car counter to get a rental car and realized that she had two cars booked for her. Uh, isn't that nice? Two cars booked, because here's what happened. Way months ago when I booked her flight with the, the flight uh, or the airline company, you can add cars and hotels and all that stuff as part of your booking. So I added a car then, and then I totally forgot about it. And so this week when she was getting ready to go, I was like, oh, I got to make sure I rent my wife a car. So I went on this website, Priceline, and I rented a second car. Now, you would think in America, when you rent these things and you make an honest mistake like this, that they would just say, okay, sorry about that. We're so happy to have you take one car, uh, and we'll just credit the other car back to you. But this particular rental company, I'm not going to say its name, but it rhymes with Shalomo, all right? <laughs> uh, they were not interested in returning me the funds, even though my wife had already taken one of their cars. And so I spent the better part of an hour yesterday on the phone with the airline company that I rented one of the cars from, with Priceline, the other car that I rented the car from, and with Shalomo. And uh, I'm, if, if anybody's in Cincinnati today and you need a rental car, you can use ours. There's an extra one sitting there waiting for you because I couldn't get any satisfaction. But bottom line is this. The policies were in place, 24-hour cancellation process. I forgot I made my own storm, right? So we can create our own storms. It's probably a lesser storm, maybe a drizzle. But some of us have created some pretty big storms. Cat fives. Uh, huge messes. Uh, and that's... Proper, uh, just a part of us being in a sinful world and being sinners ourselves. We make messes. 
And so sometimes others create storms for us. Uh, they're really good at just uh, kind of coming in and, and making decisions around us. In fact, we're going to see that's what happens in, in the story of, of Paul's storm. He, he told everybody we shouldn't be sailing today, <laughs> but no one would listen to him. You ever been that person? Hey, we shouldn't be sailing today. We shouldn't do this. But people around you say, no, let's go for it. And uh, their choices bring about the storms that affect your life. Eleanor and I uh, got to travel as part of our journeys. By the way, I bring you greetings from the church in Uganda, about 85 pastors, myself, Jerry Greaves, and Rusty Reeder. Uh, we got together in a place called Missindi, Uganda, and uh, we spent a, 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 the better part of eight or nine hours a day for five days straight just plowing through theology, and I taught them the things that I was taught about preaching. It was a great five days, uh, but they love you, and they're grateful for us sending our team and I had a great time with them. After that, I got to hang out with Eleanor, though, for a few days uh, over in, uh, in France uh, on our way back, which was really cool. Never been there. Oh, and uh, <laughs> that's French for good. Um, uh, but we, we had several trains and, uh, you know, obviously our planes to get there. We had, uh, you know, lots of metro stations to go to. We, we rode bikes. Uh, pretty much everywhere we went, totally recommend that if you're ever somewhere and you want to see everything. Do it on a bike. It's way better than walking. But uh, uh, we had all of these experiences, and not one of them went awry. Had all of these miraculous even, uh, I don't have time to tell the stories, but just, you know, God getting us places in, 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 in these parts of the world where we don't speak the language, and, and, and he just provided uh, us, you know, all of the journey mercies that we always pray for when people go on trips. Isn't that great? Until... We had flown home, spent about 24, 26 hours on planes and in airports waiting to get back to our, our bed. Has anybody been on that long journey and you're ju you just want your bed? I don't want food. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to call. I just want sleep. I want my soft bed uh, or hard bed, whatever you have. Anyway, uh, sleep number, whatever. And so we, we were, it was 10 o'clock at night a couple, uh, last week on Friday night. And uh, we had finally arrived. We were on two separate flights. We had to coordinate all that. We finally arrived at Tampa Airport, and we were walking towards Economy Park, and where Eleanor had parked our car, right? Dead tired, dragging our luggage, and we saw the car. And it was like it was like Shekinah Glory car, right? It was like it was like uh, it was like glowing. It was. I'm so excited. That's the last step in this long journey. I'm almost to my bed, and so I hit the key fob to open the the door, but it doesn't make a sound. So I get closer to the car, thinking maybe I was just out of range, but still nothing's happening. And so I, I get right next to the door and still nothing. So I put the key in the lock, uh, wondering if maybe it was the key fob, and opens the door and hoped, prayed, Lord, please make this car turn over, put it in the ignition. But he heard that nasty. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night after traveling for more than a day, and the last leg, the car is not working. Uh, my wife left the dome light on. Oops. Because you need the dome light on when you drop off the car at 10 o'clock in the morning. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she didn't know. It just kind of happened. Uh, she didn't know. And it was, you know, but we're both sitting there, me principally sitting there in this story, um, having to wait a full hour for the guy who has the charger to finish fixing tires for other customers and stuff like that, to, to get there and finally charge our car. We got home fine and safe. It's an American problem. Can we all admit that this is, this is not, again, a huge storm, it's a drizzle. But it comes as the result of someone else making mistakes. Anybody been 
sitting in a parking garage because someone else left the dome light lawn in your life? Uh, we were totally fine, by the way. We laughed about it later. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's what you got to understand theologically about any storm, is that God allows or appoints every storm that happens in our lives. He, it, nothing happens outside of his uh, willingness for it to happen. Now, like, read the book of Job. You know, God's hanging around with some of the angels and uh, uh, his adversary, Satan, walks up and they have this conversation. He talks about Job and if, if Satan says to God, listen, if you just let me, uh, you know, have my way with Job, he'd curse your name. He wouldn't follow you anymore. And so God says, okay. And he allows, he lowers the defenses so that Job could be attacked. He put the parameters up that can't kill him, but you can do anything else. And God allowed it. And the storms came in Job's life. God sends storms, sometimes because we need them. Anybody read the book of Jonah? And Jonah was, you know, told by God to go to a place called Nineveh. He had different plans. He went the exact opposite way. Tried to put as much distance between him and Nineveh as he possibly could. And while he was sailing away from Nineveh, God sent a, sent a storm that ultimately uh, ended up uh, <laughs> having Jonah spend uh, a few nights in accommodations that he never thought he would experience. Uh, but God often sends storms uh, for our own good, uh, for his glory to be accomplished through us. But sometimes he just sends us storms because he needs to teach us stuff. Well, probably the most famous storm in the Bible is the storm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus has just uh, finished feeding 5,000 men and their, hus- or their husbands, their wives, 2018, their wives and, and kids. And, uh, you know, there's been this incredible work of the Holy Spirit as, as people have been fed off of uh, uh, five loaves and a couple of fish. And he says to his disciples, what do you say to them? Hey, I got to go pray. I got to go get a loan. Why don't you guys go do what? Go take a boat ride. See, a galley's beautiful. It's really just a big lake. Go, go out on this lake, this beautiful lake, pull away from everybody else and all the chaos that has been today, and just relax. I'll meet you after the, the cruise. It never occurred to me in that story before, but Jesus was the initiator of that evening sail. He's the one who set him up for the storm. Sure, he walked out on the water. We'll talk about that some more today. But they're not in the boat, except that Jesus says, go for a boat ride. And sometimes Jesus points the uh, tip of our boat straight into a storm so that he could teach us things that we wouldn't learn otherwise. Well, today we're gonna look at this storm in Paul's life. And we're gonna see that God allows and even appoints uh, this storm to teach those on the ship with Paul a very important thing about facing the storms of life. He's gonna talk to them about the anchors that they need uh, in the storms that they face, and we consequently will learn the same. Will you join me in Acts chapter 27, verse 1? Just as, uh, by way of background, over the last five or six chapters, Paul's been through three trials in front of guys uh, named Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. Uh, He's been wrongly accused, kept in prison for three years. He's continually appealed to Caesar, and finally, he's going to have that opportunity to present his case in Rome to Caesar. He understands that this is at the bidding of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself had come to him in chapter 23, verse 11, and said, hey, man, I need you to go to Rome. I need you to spread the gospel in Rome. 
And the way I'm going to do it is through the court system. And so you've got to keep appealing until you get in front of Caesar so that Rome can hear the gospel through you. And so Paul, that's been his mission. And finally here in chapter 27, the journey begins. It says, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Rome, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners uh, to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius Irving. Dr. J, he played basketball. Uh, if you can go back for me, one verse. Uh, it says there, and when it was decided that, what's the, what's the pronoun? We. Who's writing the book of Acts? Luke. So who went on the journey? Luke was there. This is eyesight, uh, our, our eyewitness material. He was on the ship with Paul and, uh, and with the rest who were there. So Julius is in charge, and verse 2 tells us, uh, they embarked on a ship of Adramitium, uh, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. And we put to sea and accompanied by Aristarchus, uh, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, who was probably a Gentile convert of Paul's, and he just decided to come along with Luke, another Gentile convert, uh, to accompany Paul on his journey to Rome. Now, the next few verses are really uh, quite detailed in their description uh, of this maritime event, they, the, this, mar- this, this sea voyage. It's, it's really one of the, in, in ancient uh, literature, it's one of the, the greatest descriptions of, of sea travel that, that we have from uh, antiquity. Uh, I'm not going to read it all to you because it's very detailed, but I'm going to just show you how it works here on this map of the Mediterranean Sea. Is everybody with me? Okay. So this is the Mediterranean. You got Israel over here. You got Syria. And then it kind of wraps around toward, you know, it's modern day Turkey, okay? And, and so they, this ship was basically a grain ship and Paul and his, uh, you know, friends uh, were prisoners and, and Rome had kind of worked it out so that if, you know, like a lot of times you'll see uh, our military getting on, you know, uh, domestic flights uh, to travel to their next postings or whatever. It's the same kind of thing with the Roman prison system. You didn't have prison ships. You just found a ship that was heading towards wherever you wanted to take your prisoners and you just said, hey, I'm with Rome, we're going. And, and so they just got onto a grain ship that had these different ports of call around the, you know, the, the, the coast of the Mediterranean and they just kind of went from Caesarea probably, which is where Paul was uh, you know, uh, kept captive and then just kind of ping-ponged around until they set sail for the southern uh, part of Crete, which is one of the islands in the Mediterranean. And they kind of came around the southern coast of Crete and that's where we find ourselves. Thank you very much. Uh, for the map of Mediterranean. Now, so, so in verse 8, it tells us uh, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which was neither fair nor a haven. Uh, we're going to find out, uh, which was uh, in a city near Lycia. It was like going to the, one of these, you know, uh, uh, gas stations, you know, like the last one on Alligator Alley or something like that. It wasn't someplace you want to spend a lot of time, uh, but it was certainly someplace you could put in if you needed to, you know, take a potty break. So they're hanging out at Fairhavens, and uh, that's where the story truly begins. Look what it says in verse 9. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, uh, Paul's going to say a few words to those who are in charge. Uh, the fast here is referring to the Day of Atonement. We know it as Yom Kippur. Uh, it usually happens in the beginning of the, our, month, our month of August. And so we, we assume that uh, Paul basically set sail with these guys somewhere in the middle of July, end of our July, and he's been at sea for like six, five, six weeks up until this point, and it's gotten to the point where it is now dangerous, especially 2,000 years ago, to sail anywhere in the Mediterranean during the winter months. 
So Paul's going to make this recommendation. He goes to his captors and he says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo, which I know matters most to you, uh, and the ship, which matters most to the owner of the ship, but also of our lives. Everybody's going to die if we take this boat any further. <laughs> uh, is everybody picking up kind of what's happening in the story? We're going to find out later. There's about almost 300 guys on the, or, you know, shipmates and, and uh, you know, uh, workers on this boat. Uh, and, and Paul's probably the least of these. He's a prisoner. He's... Uh, He's, you know, he's just kind of hanging out behind the scenes. He's not meant to say anything to anybody. He's, a, he's just a prisoner. But he goes to his captors and he says, hey, fellas, let's not sail right now. And he doesn't do it because God, you know, an angel appeared to me and he told me not to sail. He's just going common sense. Understand that if you uh, are Paul the Apostle, you are uh, a sea veteran. You, you are a frequent flyer, as it were. On the seas, he's taken 11 journeys throughout all of his missions journeys. Uh, he's logged some 3,500 to 4,000 miles of sea travel. He understands when it's a good time to go and not to go. We, 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 may, we don't know this for sure, but uh, certainly the centurions, Julius, and the rest of them, we couldn't count on them for their sea knowledge. And maybe even the captain's kind of a greenie, right? And so Paul's you know, hearing the conversations that they're thinking of moving forward. He's like, hey, fellas. Looks like rain. Probably not a good idea for us to move forward. But uh, the centurion, <laughs> how, many, how many storms have started like this? The centurion paid more attention to the pilot, the captain of the ship, and to the owner of the ship who wanted his grain delivered on time so he can get the max price, uh, more than what Paul said. Because the harbor was not suitable, I told you it wasn't fair. It wasn't suitable to win, uh, spend winter, and the majority decided to put out to sea from there. They took a vote. It's always good to make uh, your life, you know, decisions based on the vote, right? Just get all the idiots involved and let them help you decide, right? They took a vote, and they said, you know what? We're, we're going to put out from here. Uh, and, then, and then Luke gets very uh, pointed, or, you know, I think he's very careful with his wording here, on the chance. They understood they were rolling the dice a little bit. That somehow, not probably, but somehow they could reach Phoenix. Uh, I know Arizona had, you know, seaports, but, uh, uh, but it was a harbor of Crete, obviously, that was facing both southwest and northwest, uh, which was a better setup, a fairer haven for them to spend the winter in. So here's the bottom line. The fellows were like, listen, Paul, we get it. We, you know, this isn't our first journey. We understand it's not great to sail in the months of October, November, December. We don't want to sail all the way to Rome. We just want to, we don't want to spend our time here in Fairhaven. It stinks here. There's no wah-wah. I mean, you can't get, you know, there's the Wi-Fi spotty. <laughs> uh, let's, let's just go a little bit further up the coast of Crete. We'll get to Phoenix. It'll be great. And we can winter there. So it says in verse 13, when the south wind blew gently, what a gentle south wind today. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. How many storms have started in your life when you supposed that you have, uh, had obtained your purpose? All arrows point to go. Everything seems perfect. Wind's blowing gently out of the south. Let's go. Anybody ever talk themselves into a horrible decision 
because you really wanted whatever it was that was on the other side of your choice, and you, you, you saw every sign as a favorable sign. Oh, it's obvious we're supposed to do this. It's obvious I'm supposed to marry this person. It's obvious, it's obvious, it's obvious. Only to find out, wow, I really talked myself into that one, didn't I? Uh, that's where these leaders are on the ship when they set sail from Fairhaven. Look what it says in verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind, tempestuous, uh, read hurricane wind. Uh, it, called, it was called a northeaster. It struck down from the land, came across them. Uh, and it tells us in the next verse that uh, the ship was caught and it could not face the wind. This was a single mass ship, kind of like a Viking ship with the one sail, right? Very uh, primitive, 2,000 years ago. Uh, they didn't have a, a, even a rudder at this time in, in nautical history to help them steer. Uh, they just went where the wind blew them. They would tilt their sails and, and kind of have anchors that would drag off the back that would help them as they stayed close as possible to land to get to where they needed to go. It was an open uh, uh, hull ship, no cover, no hold beneath, everything up on deck. And since they couldn't face the wind, it was blowing them away from Crete and away from Rome. Uh, they began to uh, travel on a different direction, a different course. They were driven along. It says, running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. There was a, a dinghy hanging off the back of this boat, apparently, for emergency purposes, but they were at risk of losing that, that lifeboat, and so they hauled it back up on top of the deck, uh, which was one of the first steps in a storm for them to make sure that they had uh, that boat secured. The, the next verse tells us that after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. You know what they would do? Some, sometimes when we have like big luggage bags that we don't want to have pop open while they were flying or something, we'll take these huge belts. Have anybody seen these belts that you can wrap around your luggage? They had those for ships. They had this rigging that would basically go around the hull of a ship, and because these ships were kind of, you know, wooden and nailed together, and, and you know, there was lots of prayers to gods that don't exist for the safety of these voyages, but when, when the storms would come, one of the ways that you could secure your ship is you would put the belt on. You'd wrap a rope around the ship. It was step number two in the emergency procedures uh, if a ship goes into a storm. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the, uh, on, on the Sirtis, which is uh, a rock or an island just off the coast of Crete, they lowered the gear, uh, and, and thus they were driven along. This gear is those anchors. It was kind of their steering mechanism. They would uh, lower ropes with weights on them that would somehow help them steer. I'm not a sailor. Let's move on. <clears throat> So since we were violently storm-tossed, it's a bad storm, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Everything that this ship had been set out to do was now uh, well, not their cause at all. The cargo, which was the big payload for the owner of the ship, was thrown overboard. It even gets worse. It says uh, in verse uh, 19, and on the third day, they, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Luke's clear here to say this wasn't a mistake, it wasn't you know, confused with the cargo, it had gotten so bad that they need to lighten the ship so much that they threw all of the extraneous, you know, steering elements and ropes and, and, and you know, the, the tie-offs for when they get to the dock. Everything went overboard. Everything that wasn't human was now gone from the ship, save some food that they would eat later in the story. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, uh, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Who's been there? 
You've gone through the storm, whether it was of your own making or someone else's choices that brought it, whether it was just, you know, something that came out of nowhere that God has allowed or appointed for your life. You've, you've done everything you can in the midst of your storm to mitigate against its effects. You, you're, you, you've uh, worked tirelessly day after day to give yourself your best chances. But then comes the day when you realize, I've done all I can. There's nothing else that I can do. And that's when your hope is lost. Maybe it's come as you were raising your kids. You loved them, you guided them, you took them to church, they hung out in family ministries with Brian and the rest of our awesome staff over there. They grew up here, and then they went off to college. They'd come back, you know, for their visits and holidays, and you'd have your conversations, call phone calls and all that stuff, but they just started kind of finding other ways to live their life apart from God. And you shot every one of your bullets. I'm going to quit giving you money. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You should really be in church. But as they grow older, they listened less. And finally, they went off on their own. Maybe you were that kid, and you gave your parents that headache. But as parents, anybody raising a kid, not the worst, you're doing everything you can to steer this little bugger in a straight way, and they still make bad choices. Some of us, we've gone through the loss of a loved one. They got sick, the diagnosis came, and you went to every doctor and every expert, you did every treatment that you could, you extended their lives, God did, by the grace of God, but still that disease won in the end. You're that spouse who was informed at some point in your marriage that things weren't going well, and at, at first you were angry, and you pointed the finger at the other person and told them it was all their fault, but then you realized, I, I wanna stay married, and so you, you sought to, tra- uh, you know, to train yourself in, in new uh, ways and, and, and to, to bend yourself to the grace of God and to honor God with this, this person that you've been married to. You sought forgiveness, you sought to restore, you went to counseling, you did everything you could, and in the end, the person still decided. They didn't want to be with you anymore. I could go on. There's a bunch of them in life. End of the rope moments. You've tried everything, but you've lost all hope. What do we do in those situations? Where do we go from there? I'm grateful for the times when I've gotten to those spots in my life for the way that God has ministered to me, oftentimes through other people coming and doing kind of what Paul's about to do here on this boat. Let's answer this question with the time that we have left. What, what's Paul's advice to his shipmates in their storm? What's God's advice through Paul to us in our storms? Well, it can be kind of stated in this one phrase, uh, let courage be your anchor. You know, a lot of times when we come to our storms, we want to know how things are going to work out. When's it going to end? What's my relief going to be? And has anybody noticed that that's not always like sent to us in email form? It doesn't always come through on a, a tweet or a text. Uh, a lot of it is just still uncertain. You might be in a storm right now and you still don't know how it's gonna work out. You've been praying for so and so and such and such and it's still in process. What do you do while you're waiting? Well, you face each day, trusting in God and his grace. 
and having courage to handle what lies ahead. That's what Paul says to his friends and to those who don't even know him or like him. Don't, don't forget, he's not at a church. He's on a boat with a bunch of people who don't believe in God, uh, a captive, a prisoner. He's got no microphone. He's got no uh, platform to be saying these things. But in times where lost or hope is lost to the extent it's lost here, uh, people tend to listen to whoever's talking. And so Paul gets up and says, let's let courage be your anchor. Since they had been without food for a long time, they've not only been beaten and stressed emotionally, and now they're physically worn down. Uh, Paul stands up, sensing this is the time. And look what he says first. I love this. Men, you should have listened to me. You should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Paul gives him a big fat I told you so. <laughs> Who wants to hear the I told you so's, right? Well, apparently this was very important to start with because Paul was going to start giving instruction and as a prisoner he wasn't really having the, you know, the, he didn't have the right to be heard. Uh, so he wanted to kind of, you know, bolster his platform and he says, hey guys, uh, back when we were at Fairhaven, I was the one who said don't sail. I'm the one who had the wisdom to not start this thing. Anybody want to listen to me talk now? So he goes on. He says, yeah, I told you so. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you. Good news! Who loves good news? Anybody like good news? Nobody's going to die. But good news is almost always followed by some bad news. And that's where Paul goes next. But hey, you're going to lose the ship. <laughs> Got some good news and bad news for you, fellas. What do you want first? Give us the good news. Nobody's going to die. Okay, what's the bad news? <laughs> the ship's going down. <laughs> I felt like God has said that to me in, in parts of my life. Hey, Mark, I'm going to get you through this. You're not going to die. The people that you're praying for, they're not going to die. But you know what is going to happen? Everything else that you could hold on to Everything else that you could possibly depend on, I'm going to strip that away from you. Because you're going to have to trust me in ways that you've never trusted me before. You're going to have to have courage to step out in faith like you've never had to before. Everybody's going to live. Ship's going down. <laughs> We're like the guy who, uh, who's a... Uh, hanging off the side of a cliff, he's managed to grab, you know, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, he's managed to grab one stick that's sticking out of the side of this cliff, and he's yelling for help, 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 and the voice comes from the top of the cliff. He says, I'll help you, and he says, who are you? He says, God, stay with me. And he says, all right, God, uh, get me out of this. He says, I'll totally get you out of this. I only ask you to do one thing. What's that, Lord? Let go of the stick. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> yeah, that's usually what we do, right? Because God comes to us with his assurances. He asks us to have courage and faith and trust him. But he says, you're going to lose the ship. And we're like, I don't know about that. How can we have courage? Does Paul give us any inkling as to how we can trust God in this way? Well, we can have courage because God's with us in every storm that we face. Look what he says about this storm. Paul says, for this very night, before I got up to speak to you, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He had this tangible, visible 
messenger of God who came and assured him that everybody on the ship would be spared. Paul's courage, Paul's trust uh, was buoyed by this, this presence of the messenger of God. And we on this side of, of these 2,000 years of theology understand that God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, but probably most important, he's everywhere. There's nothing that you and I go through that he isn't in the midst of it with us. Some of us say, why, why, why isn't he doing anything? He's totally doing things. We have this set of expectations. Fellas, you ever done this? You, your wife wanted you to do this, this, and this, and this, and you did this, this, and this, and this, but you didn't do this, so she thought you did nothing. Yeah, God's doing stuff all the time. It may not be exactly what you want. Might not be the job you were asking for, the raise you were hoping for. It might not be in the timetable that you were expecting, but God is always at work around with us. And God is ever present in our storms. And that is the source of our courage, His presence. There was another storm. We talked about it earlier. I was on the Sea of Galilee, and and Jesus sent the guys out for a boat ride there in Matthew chapter 14, and and, and the storm comes up in the Sea of Galilee, and they're all freaking out. Even these seasoned sailors, these fishermen, they're losing their stuff. They're they're just, they don't know what to do. And then to compound the whole thing, here comes a ghost walking on the water. Now they're terrified and terrified. And the voice from the, 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 the image comes out to them, and immediately Jesus speaks to them, it says there in Matthew 14. It says, take heart. The same phrase that Paul spoke here on his boat. Take heart. It's a Greek word. The Greek word is euthymeo. Uh, Everybody say euthymeo. It's a compound word. It's, it's, a, it's the, the Greek prefix eu, u, which means good, uh, like euphoria, right? Ooh means good. You know what thymeo means? It means angry. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a jumbo shrimp type thing, an oxymoron. It's a good angry, a good indignation. That's what courage is. Courage is having uh, a hope for the best, an understanding that things are going to be all right, and being indignant and angry enough to get up and do something in the midst of my storm. And that's what it means when it says, take heart. Uthaimeo. Have some good anger at what's going on in your life and let it propel you into action. Jesus says to his friends, hey, take heart. It's me. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Paul's saying to his friends on the boat, hey, man, let courage be your anchor because God is with us in the storm. But he doesn't stop there. He says, we can have courage because God owns us in our storm. Look what it says next. He says, for this very night there stood before me an angel of, of the God to whom I belong. Don't miss this. Paul's very careful to say, listen, God owns me. God owns my story. He owns my life. He's in charge. God made me. It says as much as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, he says this in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God gave you your body, the temple. God gave you the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that you have in life is from God. It's his. 
because it originated with him. But it doesn't stop there or end there. It is his twice. Why? Because you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what happened at the cross was just not, not, not simply your redemption. It wasn't just you kind of being, uh, you know, offered this great chance to be free from the penalty of your sin and to be, uh, you know, grafted again to the tree that is God and, and to the family uh, that, that, that we share with him. It, it was you being bought with a price. It was a ransom. The cross was a ransom paid. You and I were captives, lost in our sin, unable to do anything about it, and Jesus paid our price. So, if we are owned, created, and owned by a God who is most interested in us bringing him the glory that he deserves, but who is uh, invested and interested in how our stories turned out. And the only logical thing that we can do with an all-powerful being like that is to be like, all right, I trust you. I'll have courage to face whatever I'm coming into because you're with me, because you own me. Therefore, I will worship you. What's the key ingredient in courage? If I asked you to mix up a batch of courage this morning, what would you start with? What's the base of every courageous act. I'll tell you what it is for the sake of time. The key ingredient in courage is faith. It's faith. You can't have courage without it. If you don't believe that there's something bigger than you that will take care of you or take care of those around you as you launch forward, not into, you know, foolish acts, you know, like the rednecks, hold my beer, watch this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking there, there has to be something happen. There has to, if we're going to move forward in the midst of the storm, I have to move forward with courage. Where does that courage come from? Belief, faith, that God's got me, that God's got us, that even if things don't work out like I think they should, he's still on the throne. And I believe. That's what Paul said. So take heart, men, verse 25. Take heart, men, uh, heart, men for I have faith in God. That will be as, exactly as I have been told. And then he does one more thing. But we must run aground on some island. Just so you know, the ship's going down. The ship's going down. We're going to lose the ship, fellas. But God's got us. Now, for the sake of time, let me just kind of summarize the rest of the chapter for you. There's like 44 verses. We need to go. The ship goes aground. Ta-da! The nose of it points uh, towards the sandbar on an island called Malta. It's just off the coast of Sicily. Uh, but to this point, uh, all of the people on board, 276, Luke, count, Luke counts for us, 276 sailors and prisoners and soldiers, um, they all survive. Uh, Paul sends the swimmers first. He actually says this, all you guys who can swim, swim for sure. Uh, everybody else, isn't it great that God busted up the ship? We got stuff to hold on to. Hang on to a piece of the ship until it gets us to shore. Lots of times that's how life is. Anybody feel like they're holding on to pieces of the ship until God gets us to shore? Yeah. But they made it by God's grace as they showed courage and went forward. Uh, they were able to see their way through the storm. I believe that's God's plan for every one of us as we face the storms that come in our lives. The, the band's gonna come out, we're gonna sing one song in closing. It's one of my favorites of the songs that we sing. It's called Do It Again, and it talks about 
uh, in the first verse, the story of Jericho. If you don't know the story of Jericho, the children of Israel are coming into uh, the promised land, and one of the first cities that they have to fight against is this walled city of Jericho. And God tells them to walk around it, not once, not twice, but seven times. And I bet you through that process they were thinking, man, seriously? Is this what God's plan is, just for us to take a walk? But by faith, they continued so that the victory could be theirs. As you face the storms that you're in in life, they're coming if they're not here. They're coming. Will you just, with Paul and with the Israelites of Jericho and with Peter, who was the only disciple, by the way, who let go of the side of the boat, would you be willing to have courage Let that be the anchor of your storm. Have courage because God's there. Have courage because he owns you and your story and nothing's going to happen to you that's outside of his will. Have courage and walk with him as he does it again and again and again. Would you stand with us as we reflect on what the Lord's been teaching us in his word this morning? I'll see you. 
That's our belief, our hope. No matter what we face in life, you never fail. Even if the things that we uh, face hurt us or cost us, uh, you're still with us, you're for us and not against us. Uh, you work all things together for the good of those who love you. These are your promises. Thank you uh, for being our, our constant source of strength in our storms. Uh, carry us, God, uh, through whatever we face, whatever we will face. Give us faith that makes us courageous and, uh, and leads us through our storms. We love you, Lord. Uh, thanks for a morning to reflect on these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...